Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to talk about cybersecurity and innovative ways how to protect yourself against potential attacks. And that is because we hear about this every day, all day long. But Xavier here from Lupovis has some original ideas and solutions how to tackle this. So I'm very curious to find out more. How are you today, Xavier? I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Good morning. Sunny in Glasgow. Can't complain. All right. Thank you so much. So tell us about yourself. What is your backstory? What drove you to cybersecurity? Why do you do what you do today? How did it all happen? All right. It's a long backstory, but I'll try to be short. I've always done cybersecurity. I've always looking at breaking stuff and putting stuff back together. But the journey that led us here today is used to work for, for NATO in Belgium got told that there was a, a, a master's in ethical hacking first in the world in Aberté in Dundee a long time ago. And I came to Scotland studying ethical hacking. And suddenly someone said, by the way, there's a PhD at Strathclyde in Glasgow and ended up in Glasgow. And someone said, hey, we work on critical infrastructures. And do you want to do critical infrastructure cyber? And somehow ended up looking at this holistic view of critical infrastructures, and including finance, fintech. And from there on, I also worked on maritime and energy and starting, uh, started advising a number of governments. And here I am now today. I've worked on a variety of topics in the field. And some of the research made it out of university. Right. So you're based in Scotland. And you started with ethical hacking. So that's something that maybe many people haven't heard of before. And then you worked on critical infrastructure protection, things like this. So what is the problem that you are solving at your company at Lupovis? And why is it worth solving? Because yes, there are many attacks, there are many problems in the world, but not everything in this world, unfortunately, is commercially viable to be addressed. So how does it work for you? All right. It's the case of it's not an if, but when you're going to be attacked, right? And so far, and you can look at the news, you go on Google, you type cyber attacks, and every day we see cyber attacks. And the traditional way that we've been doing cybersecurity is by building walls, like a castle. And we hope that nobody ever goes over the walls. And obviously, this is not working. We've done this for decades. And... We thought about it in a slightly different way. We were doing research for over a decade with my team, focusing on detecting cyber attacks. And we used machine learning. We used a whole range of tools. And we still didn't manage to make it right. And suddenly, we had an idea looking at a movie about Operation Fortitude. And we thought about, what if we let adversaries come to us first? How do you make them believe 
they're attacking your own infrastructure and they're making progress. But in reality, everything's a decoy. And this was the basis of our idea. So we turn the table on adversaries and we make your network become like turned from a flock of sheep to a pack of wolves. We essentially place decoys around the network inside and outside. And outside, when an adversary is looking at penetrating your organization, they find like a fake door. And if you had a fake door on your house, you'd know yourself and your family to never open that fake door. And so if anybody would open that fake door, you'd know that something is going wrong. This is exactly the same principle. It's a fake door that leads nowhere. But when someone touches it, you know something's wrong. Similarly, we place fake doors and fake information inside of companies' network. And when someone with valid credentials is snooping around, an insider threat, and we see more and more of those ones, uses that piece of data, something has gone wrong. Someone is inside or the wolves and inside the den and you've got to look at it. That's a problem we solve, right? All right. So I'm curious to find out more about decoys, but let's first talk about that first point. You said that it's not about if you're going to be attacked, but when you're going to be attacked. But it looks like to me that some organizations or some people will get hacked more than the others. So you also have to be a person of interest or either you don't follow the best practices or you are just not interesting for hackers. So who is interesting and who is not? All right. So this is a very good question. 90% of cyber attacks are opportunistic. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you do. It's just adversaries looking for a known vulnerability. So if you've not, if your team has not patched the vulnerabilities, if they've not have a game plan about remediating vulnerabilities following the new vulnerabilities, at some point you'll get hacked. And then there's 10%. And those 10%, they're of interests. It might be hospitals, it might be banking, it might be fintech, it might be anybody that holds any IP. Anything that might be of interest in a certain type of situation. So you can both be of interest, but also suffer from opportunistic attacks. And of course, if you are a, fi a fintech organization with a number of clients and you hold transactions and you hold pieces of information, you are most likely going to be a target because people have an interest in you and you hold data that might be held ransom. You hold data that have value and your reputation can be damaged if I attack you. So that's important to understand, right? And so this is why we see some organizations more being more targeted than others. Now, there's also organizations that have essentially less of a practice or less maturity in cybersecurity. And that's like healthcare. We see healthcare being like one of the top sectors at the moment. Fintech being another sector. We see manufacturing as a third sector. And we see this ourselves, but it's also corroborated by a recent report from the FBI that has been putting this out. Okay, great. So let's come back to decoys, right? So this sounds like you're talking about some crime TV show, right? You place a decoy somewhere, you lure criminals to follow up on it, and then you catch them. So 
how did you come up with this idea? A lot of the cybersecurity companies will be looking at the defender, right? And they'll be trying to make a tool for the defender to defend. And imagine you are defending a castle and you've got a small team here, you're three or four. It becomes very complicated based on the size of your castle. Your castle might have like 3,000, 4,000, 50,000 people inside. How do you defend with a small team on a restricted budget that entire castle? It's barely impossible. So we decided to take the different approach. And the other approach is to look at the offender. You look at the offender and you say, okay, what motivates the offender? And suddenly you see a variety of offenders. Some with less skills, some with more skills, like from script kiddies that use tools to adversaries that are state-sponsored. And you start looking at them and you wonder what motivates them. Why would they come to us? And if they were coming to us, where would they go? What would they attack? Why? How? Where? What would? How would they enter my castle? And suddenly you figure out, in most cases they'll try to find a low-hanging fruit, a vulnerability that is not patched, or a new vulnerability that just got created. So the best way to get the adversary to come to you is to provide them with a low-hanging fruit. And so that's where the decoy door comes in. It's a door that leads nowhere, that has no impact on your organization, but lets the adversary knock or at least try to open it. And that gives you the first indication of something going wrong. So we've taken that opposite approach, just looking at the offender as opposed to look at the defender. Interesting. And you talked about castles and you talked about offenders coming from outside in. What if your threat comes from the inside? So it's either your employees or former employees, disgruntled employees, anything like that. Can you use decoy in that situation where I'm headed with this? Is sometimes people might say well, that was an entrapment, right? That's not something you're supposed to do. How do you deal with the angle of the potential attacks? That's it. Okay. I really like that, that question. Essentially, anybody that is doing work is not meant to snoop around your network. Currently, you have roles in an organization and you expect your CFO not to go and have a look at confidential data that your CTO is working on, right? Or at the patents that the CTO is working on. They might be looking at it at some point when they are given access to it, but not right now. And if the CFO starts snooping around, or if an employee starts snooping around, and using privileges that they don't have, it's not entrapment. They are doing something illegal. So one of the things that we do, for example, in the fintech industry, is that we create false databases of clients. We create false documents, we create false emails, we create false credentials for false services. In universities, for example, we create false patent databases. And if anybody ever touches that false patent database, right, from the inside, you know that someone is snooping around. And it's the same principle, no matter what your organization looks like, in one of the, the energy sector organizations we worked with, we created a false SCADA system working with wind turbines. It's a bit complicated, but then it's a complicated industry. And one day we got someone snooping around and trying to stop a wind turbine. And then something has gone wrong. 
amazing. So I understand if you people want to go beyond their assigned access rights, fine. Sometimes you may have super users though, right? They're supposed to check everybody else's access rights. And uh, in some countries, you try to monitor them. But again, because of the data privacy issues and things like this, the regulations say you cannot ever scan complete activities unscripted from the morning until the evening of your employees. So you can only check certain critical transactions. So how would that work for those super users? And also maybe let's link it to remote working, right? There are some organizations that if you work from home, they pay overtime. So they track whether you logged in, whether the mouse is moving. I think there may be a software for it. So the mouse moves every minute and a half while you're watching football. I don't know. <laughs> but how do you deal with these sort of situations? All right. So we typically don't deal with the situation. What we do is essentially when someone connects on the VPN, right? And we tell them, all right, your job today is to do, I don't know, what could it be like? Let's take a very simple example. As researchers, I've been in academia, so it's a very simple example, but you're, you're going to connect to the university and you're going to access like your research lab and your research computers. And now every bank have, have senior analytics folks and, and analytics, like analytics team, right? And here in, in Scotland, one of my friends worked for one of the large banks here and he works three days at home. And essentially, remote connects to the bank and he accesses only the services that he needs to access during the day. And usually those are analytics capability. So there are going to be like computers that allows him to run a couple of algorithms to do whatever he does best. And essentially, if at some point he starts trying to probe the network and he tries to access something totally different and... He says, hey, I'm trying to connect to a database of our clients or a database of our third party or onto the Swift network. Something is going wrong, but it's not monitored usually because he's got credentials. He's a senior person in the organization and they might not be looking inside of the network if he's doing something right or wrong. And essentially, in our case, when we deploy like a fake database of clients, when we deploy anything that might be of interest onto the network that employee should never know about, despite the rights that they have, like only the security team knows about it. You'll still get an alert and you'll still know that they are trying to do something that they shouldn't do at that time. All right, understood. I hope you also check the security people though. That's my point. Okay. So in, in a lot of banking organizations, what you will have is you get decentralized teams, right? So this is for corporate financial and like larger financial organization. I'm not going to provide names because they'd be angry for revealing this, but we know of organizations that use our product with multiple teams and each team knows about a third. So they like the one that I'm thinking about, they have three cybersecurity team across Europe. One is in the UK. The UK team knows about some of the decoys. Uh, and then the other teams know some of the decoys as well. And essentially, this is how they monitor themselves. And they don't know about all of the decoys everywhere. So you monitor the security team. 
However, one of the one of the comments that I like to say is trust your security team. Usually the security team, like most of the folks who are working in the industry, they could have gone the wrong way and be hackers, right? And they've gone on to the right pathway. So th- those are the people that, that I trust the most, to be frank. All right. I don't know why you discriminate against CFOs then, but fine. No, no discriminations at all about CFOs at all. Uh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. I also know that you provide services which have to do with detecting internet noise, right? You may get yep. many false alarms. You think there is an outage, there is an attack, things like this, but there's so much stuff out there. Some of it is not harmful and you waste your resources, etc. So how does this work, Deter- determining what is really a threat and what is an internet noise? All right. So there's a lot of scanners out there and they look for vulnerabilities. Those are the opportunistic attack. And on a security team, and most security teams will are reduced at the moment and they have shortages in people. So all of that noise creates a lot of alerts. So what we do for them is that we are going to go and deploy decoys around the internet, thousands of decoys, thousands of those fake doors. And we are going to make them by clusters. We do fintech, we do finance, we have like space, we have healthcare, uh, manufacturing, automotive, and all of those great stuff. And we continuously listen to who is attacking them. We create fake doors specifically on that theme. And we leak fake information on dark web, on forums, in a variety of places. And we let adversaries attack all of our fake infrastructure. And we look at them. We look at how they behave. We look at what they are doing. And we gather all of that information and we do a lot of analytics on it. We start gathering all of that information and we start seeing things happening where we see some adversaries only focusing on cloud providers like AWS or Microsoft Azure. And we start seeing some adversaries only focusing on a sector, some adversaries only focusing on a geography. And so if you're a a financial institution in Belgium or in Switzerland and you say, hey, who are the adversaries currently attacking financial institutions in Switzerland right now? We can give you a list. And if you say, what are they doing? What are the vulnerabilities they're currently exploiting? We can give you that list. And if you say, what about, let's say, Europe or the United States or the world? We can give you those lists because we continuously monitor what adversaries are doing and we correlate all of that information. And in that noise, we also identify the humans. So if we see humans working through our fake doors, we're going to be like, hey, look, we do analytics, we identify this is a human, this is not a bot. And if at some point one of our clients says, hey, we've seen this IP address connecting to us, are they a bot? Are they a human? Are they dangerous? We can say, yes, they're a bot, so ignore them. We've seen them before. Or, hey, they're a human, we've never seen them before, and That's something that's someone that you want to look at. Or this is a person that only attacks the financial institutions or only attacks AWS infrastructure. So if you've got AWS infrastructure, you need to have a look at right now. So it gives them a sense of urgency. It's essentially finding the needle in the haystack for them. Wow, great stuff. Who are your key clients then? What are the key industries you're focusing on if there is a focus by industry? 
Yeah, so finance and financial institutions are some of our key clients. And then we've got a number of clients in the defense sector, both public and private. And then we now work more and more with managed security service providers because it's a service that is easily deployable and they can go and deploy it across all of their clients and they get the benefits of having true positive alerts and they help clients in a variety of sectors themselves, essentially. I see. All right. And now let's follow up on one other thing, because you talked a lot about analytics, right? So what is your technology angle? Or do you just have better engineers than other cybersecurity firms? Or what is your unique selling advantage when it comes to technology? All right. So first of all, the team is brilliant. There's no denying that. While I am the person that had the main idea, they are the ones that made it happen. We've got fantastic engineers. But there's a concept that we want to bring to the cybersecurity industry, which is let adversaries come to you and take a dynamic and proactive defense as opposed to try to defend against every threat yourself. And to work on that main goal, we've decided to become the largest repository of adversary interactions. So we gather every time there's an interaction with one of our decoys, we gather that interaction. And we do analytics across all of the interactions we've ever seen. So I think nowadays we get like over 5 million interactions per month across all of the infrastructure. And we do correlation all the time. And it allows us to identify patterns of groups that are attacking organizations. We identify the way they are operating. We start seeing new paths that they try to take. So, for example, when we see ransomware groups, we see what they target first, which allows us to create better decoys, which allows us to tell our clients, look, this is a path that they might want to take in your network. This is a path that your red team needs to look at. And so we've got this amazing repository of interactions on which we do analytics all the time. And this allows us to continuously improve the product and, and ensuring that customers have a good night's sleep. I see. So that leads me to the next question. How do you make money? And maybe you will say it is as everybody else. It's a subscription business plus some implementation fee, things like this. But now that you're talking about all these decoys and that leads to potentially ransom, can you work on a success fee, like a percentage of a ransom fee that you avoided or recovered? No, so we've gone with the same as everyone else, but we are a SaaS type platform. And so we work on a simple recurring revenue model based on the number of decoys that you're going to be deploying or based on the amount. So we've got two products, Snare, which is our deception as a service where we deceive the adversaries. And so that's based on the number of decoys that you're going to be deploying across the infrastructure. And then for Prol, which is our threat intel tool, is based on the amount of information you're going to be requesting from us. If you request no information from Prol, you pay nothing. And if you start requesting a lot, you'll probably pay a bit of a bit of a fee, but an acceptable fee to understand if you're being targeted or not. Okay, understood. So if people are happy, they renew the subscription. If they would exactly. be unhappy, then they don't. But uh, let's say that doesn't happen or doesn't happen very often. All right. 
So what is your favorite business book? Do you have any anything that people could follow up on when they want to learn about decoys? All right. So if you want to learn about decoys, there's a couple of books out there. But my I think I, I think my favorite book is First Break All the Rules. I think it is a very hacker mindset <laughs> of breaking things. And I think it's a very good managerial book and teaches you a lot about all of the things that you shouldn't do. And it allows you to rebuild yourself in a better way. And I really like that. All right, understood. So thank you so much for the tip. I'll put the link in the show notes. And my last question typically is, what is the best way to reach out? And what kind of people would you like to hear from most? All right, that's a very easy one. LinkedIn, definitely the easiest to reach me. You can do Twitter and email as well, but LinkedIn is definitely the easiest. And who wants to would like to reach out to me? Listen, I love a good cybersecurity or engineering chat. I love a, a good management chat as well. So I like a good chat, actually. I'm a, <laughs> I think I'm, I'd like to think about myself as a very open person. I like to meet people from a variety of horizons. So if you want to reach out, no matter what you want to talk about, just give me a shout. Brilliant. So thanks so much. Maybe one extra bonus question, because now you talked about everybody will be attacked at some point where you attacked as well as a company. Yes, we have been we've been attacked multiple times. So we recently put a report about deceiving Russian adversaries and we have been targeted by spare phishing campaigns so very well crafted phishing emails trying to some of our credentials and luckily we've got a great team we do a lot of training on what that looks like and how to identify those type of emails of course i think nobody's safe everybody's going to be attacked at some point that being said good luck everyone good luck to lupovis and keep safe and maybe explore some of the ways how you can protect yourself with Xavier and Lupovic. So thank you so much. Thank you very much, Rudy. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.